The Rural Radio Network presents the Midday Program for a Tuesday. A Tuesday that's expecting to be quite an active one by the time we get into the weather of our afternoon and evening. And stay with your local Rural Radio Network station for the very latest on the Midwest weather that likely... The likelihood is right now that it's uh, not going to be a lot of fun for some folks right now expecting a rather uh, intense situation for quite a few folks moving west to east across the state of Nebraska. Let's move on to what we have for you here in the midday with information from Joe Gangwish. Yeah, I saw a tweet from the Hastings Weather Service saying straight line winds could be the big danger from that today. They're so talking about 70 mile an hour winds. Stay tuned to your rural radio network station. I'll certainly keep you updated on the weather. Wanted to let you know, guys, I did not make cupcakes today. You did so, not? So I'm sorry. Nope. No one in-house is turning 65. <laughs> <laughs> We'll have to figure out whose birthday is we, next. We try to keep that down to a minimum. <laughs> Good point. And, and some are closer to others. Although they were. Yeah, absolutely. They were terrific, though. Yeah, Speaking of good. which, this young man to my right, yeah. probably <laughs> probably one of the closest to turning 65. Oh, no. I'm way off from that. Oh, <laughs> way older or way younger? You had to clarify. I'm way younger. you got to be careful here because Bob and I were born in the same year. Okay. Right, so okay. just, just you that. watch. We're starting to offend out. people, Jason. <laughs> we're, we're bros. <laughs> Tell us what you got there, Joe. Well, in ag news, NAFTA renegotiations must prioritize agriculture. That's according to the American Farm Bureau. They are testifying today. In fact, a representative from Colorado Farm Bureau is in Washington testifying before the U.S. Trade Representative today. Dewey visits with Lance Burdett, account manager with Water Street Solutions. Three things to consider in your cash rent approach. That'll be at 1219. Uh, newsmaker today is Skylar Deneo from the Hoxie FFA chapter, serving as the Kansas FFA State Sentinel. And also Marie Ravellis from the Hayes FFA chapter. Uh, serving as FFA State Secretary for the state of Kansas. It's kind of a get-to-know-your-Kansas state officers for some of those in our listing area. They will be our newsmakers today. Jesse's with Jody Lamp, co-founder of the American Doorstop Project, co-author of A History of Nebraska Agriculture, that new book that's just come out. I was going to grab that for effects. I got a copy in my office, but I forgot to bring it. But it's a great book, just looking through it. Lots of history on Nebraska ag. They will talk about that at 117. All right, look forward to that. Thank you very much. And Jason has sports for us. Hopefully it's not a stormy night in Omaha and that they can play the second game of the CWS final that was won last night by Florida over LSU as they won it. 4-3, to three, the Gators a game away from their first ever national title in baseball. We will touch on that. Also, we'll tell you about a young man from York who's picked up his first scholarship offer for football. That would be York High School star Garrett Snodgrass. He's been offered a scholarship by South Dakota State. And it sounds like new Indiana men's basketball coach Archie Miller will be making ton of a ton of money coach the Hoosiers. Well, that's kind of the way it works in yeah. Indiana, I think. All right, Bob, what do you have in business? Stocks are drifting in midday trading. A uh, big thing going on right now is uh, one of several Republican senators opposing the health care measure is headed to the White House to speak with uh, President Trump, uh, and that would be Kentucky Senator Rand Paul. There, uh, The uh, Republicans are trying to resurrect or save that uh, GOP health care plan. All right. Thanks very much. All that information and much more coming your way today on Midday. 
Paul Perkins joins us, and I'm going to just step back here, remind you that this is brought to you by Kuhlman Repair, because I have a feeling you have a lot of syllables for us in this report. Yes, a lot of severe weather potentially to talk about as we move through the afternoon and evening. It looks like uh, these thunderstorms expected to develop in western Nebraska later today and then move across central areas by later this evening. They have expanded this uh, enhanced risk of severe storms in central and east Nebraska. We now have an enhanced risk of severe storms as far west as Ainsworth, Thedford, North Platte, and Cambridge, and then points on into eastern and central Nebraska. So once again, if you're along an east of a line from Ainsworth to Thedford to North Platte and Cambridge, you are in an enhanced risk of severe weather. We do have a slight risk of severe storms across all of Nebraska, at least. If you're not in the enhanced risk, you're at least in a a slight risk for severe storms. That slight risk of storms also covers about the northwestern half of Kansas. Today going to be windy and warmer. This culprit for the potential for some severe weather with an area of low pressure and a warm front that's tracking to the east. Thunderstorms later today expected to develop across western Nebraska late in the afternoon, then track towards the east and southeast. Once again, the slight risk for severe storms over all of Nebraska into the northwest half of Kansas, but that higher or enhanced risk Central and East Nebraska, along and east of that line from Ainsworth to Thetford down to North Platte and the Cambridge area. Much of the area, uh, you can see a map of that slight and enhanced risk. It's on our KRBN Facebook page. Also, we do have a view of what the radar could show late this evening as those storms start to get going. It's a model forecast model depiction of what we could be looking at for severe weather as we head towards about late this evening. Most of the area expected to be dry and warm tomorrow behind this front. Storm chances remain possible closer to this front as the stalls out across the south and east. More thunderstorms that could be severe are possible for Thursday and Thursday night as the more low pressure tracks to the east. Weaker low pressure over the weekend will keep at least some chance of thunderstorms going with some near-seasonal temperatures. Now, if we don't get any thunderstorms with these systems the next few days, some rain could be hard to come by. In our long-term forecast, chances remain good, especially later on. Temperatures will be warmer than normal in Nebraska and Kansas Sunday through July 10th. In fact, in the 8- to 14-day period, nearly all of the United States expected to be warmer than normal. In the precipitation forecast, Nebraska and Kansas forecast to see near-normal to below-normal rainfall Sunday through July 10th, and even near-normal rainfall not very good in the month of July since it's usually a dry month. Weather factors in the markets include moderate to heavy rains in the forecast for the Midwest and some of the eastern plains, some possible showers for the northern plains, and a cooling trend across the southern plains for a short term. The next few days, cool and occasionally rainy weather will affect the Midwest and portions of the northern plains. Warm, mostly dry conditions expected to persist in the Midwest. Rainfall in the Midwest will maintain the favorable conditions for developing corn and soybeans. That's going to be needed ahead of a warm-up in that 8- to 14-day forecast period. In the northern plains, some beneficial showers are on the way for developing corn and soybeans. Also, spring wheat in need of more rain. That rain, though, may not be enough in the Dakotas. North Dakota leads the nation in rangeland and pastures rated very poor to poor at 61%. That's followed by South Dakota at 53%, very poor to poor on the rangeland and pastures. South Dakota also leads the U.S. in spring wheat, rated very poor to poor at 62%, and winter wheat in South Dakota, rated right now 56%, very poor to poor. 
No concerns across the southern plains for the mature wheat and harvest. Showers may delay the harvest some. The showers will help the corn and soygum, sorghum ahead of the return of some hot weather next week. And while we're on the subject of those southern plains on into the desert southwest, Death Valley yesterday, they had a cooling trend. They only had a high of 121 degrees. That's down <laughs> 4 degrees from the high of 125 the day before. Now, one other thing to keep in mind, five years ago in central Nebraska, I saw this on Facebook, we had heat index readings up around 120 degrees because it got up to 100 and we had just oppressive humidity. So yeah. our heat index readings in central Nebraska five years ago in 2012 were up around 120. One other note in the Canadian prairies, rain this week and more seasonal and more seasonal temperatures will favor the crops in the Canadian prairies. That exception will be in the northwest where field work delays are still concerned across the uh, Canadian prairies. Well, I am glad it is so much more comfortable in Death Valley. California. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. So they have that dry heat. We always, of course, have that humid feet. Yeah, but yeah, stay tuned to KRBN, and we will keep you posted in the case of severe weather. Looks like it's pretty good bet as we head towards later today into the evening. Ag information brought to you by Kuhlman Repair, our Ag Weather, and the Storm Center coverage, of course, later on, should that become necessary, and I would almost lay money that it will be. Uh-huh. Presented by Skeeter Barnes, the best beef and barbecue around locations in Kearney and Columbus, and by American Family Insurance, serving Lexington and Kearney. And when you need weather anytime, krvn.com. Look at Midday Ag News. Joe Gangwish with you on the Rural Radio Network. A modernized North American free trade agreement must build upon market gains for U.S. agriculture and settle remaining challenges for our nation's farmers and ranchers in our neighboring markets. It's according to Don Showcroft, Colorado Farm Bureau president, uh, stated in a hearing uh, going on today in front of the U.S. Trade Representative. Shawcroft, in testimony on behalf of the American Farm Bureau, said NAFTA has been overwhelmingly beneficial for the vast majority of farmers and ranchers across the U.S. for decades. U.S. ag exports to Canada and Mexico have quadrupled from $8.9 billion in 93 to $38.1 billion in 2016. Although the benefits from NAFTA are clear in many, there are reasons to reform and update the agreement, according to Shawcroft. NAFTA renegotiations present a prime opportunity to address challenges of fruit and vegetable farmers have faced with Mexico, as well as a chance for dairy, row crop, and wheat farmers to settle issues with China. Shawcroft said a modernized NAFTA should be, uh, or should best eliminate rather, at worst reduce, barriers to trade that keep our farmers and ranchers from having a level playing field with our neighbors. We do have a trade team visiting Kansas this week. Susan Littlefield caught up with them today in Manhattan. A team of buyers from China are spending time in the United States going from Texas to here in Kansas to learn more about sales of sorghum to China. Today they're spending time at the International Grains Program on the campus of Kansas State University to learn more about the sorghum industry in Kansas. Later this week they'll have the opportunity to spend some time out on the farm seeing firsthand how the crop that they may purchase down the road is growing here in Kansas. It's also an opportunity to introduce them to suppliers and means to ensure specific quality characteristics that they're looking for when they make their purchases. Helping to improve the ability to procure sorghum and expand sorghum use in feed rations in China. I'm Susan Littlefield. 
on the Rural Radio Network. Well, the avian bird flu outbreak a few years ago has had an impact on more than just the poultry industry, as Bruce Gorder reports from Iowa. Matt Deppey is the executive director of the Iowa Cattlemen's Association, and because of the possibility of animal diseases, they requested funds from the Iowa legislature. Um, as, as we worked through that high-path avian influenza outbreak several years ago, um, while we really appreciate the efforts of the local, state, and federal government in relationship to how they intervened and finally got things under control, certainly going through something like that identifies some challenges. And so one of the things we took to the legislature, along with several other livestock trade associations, uh, was a request for appropriation to better fund uh, some focus on preparedness and getting into to some type of response in our Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship. And the outcome wasn't perfect. We asked for 500000 but we did get $100,000 in a very, very tight, challenging budget year. And we're super appreciative of the legislature because that shows us they understand how important livestock is and the cattle business is to our, our state's economy. That's Iowa Cattlemen's Association Executive Director Matt Deppey. And I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. Well, a father and son whose Iowa-based egg production company caused a massive 2010 salmonella outbreak have exhausted their appeals and a federal judge has ordered them to begin serving prison sentences. The U.S. Supreme Court declined in May to hear the appeals of Austin Jack DeCoster and his son Peter DeCoster without comment. Both have been sentenced by U.S. District Judge Mark Bennett to serve three months in prison. The sentences jarred the food and drug manufacturing industry because it's rare that corporate officials are held personally responsible for an outbreak of foodborne illness. More Ag News for you at RollRadio.com. I'm Joe Gangwish on the Roll Radio Network. Today we talk with Lance Burdett, Water Street Solutions. He's an account manager, and we're going to talk about your cash rent. As we are considering our rented ground, what are some things to think about, Lance? Well, Dewey, we all know, uh, especially in times of economic downturn uh, within agriculture, it's extremely important to manage cash rent costs carefully. I believe the farmers who are doing a great job right now of managing their cash rent have committed themselves to doing three critical things. First, they know their exact cost of farming each piece of rented ground and determine whether it's performing at a level where it's still worth farming. They're focused on building strong relationships with their landlords, and they are working to hone their negotiation skills for rent discussions. Each of those areas require analytical thought, plus dedication to follow through with what could be potentially tough conversations or difficult decisions. From what I've seen, the farms that are most successful at this are good at keeping their farm's overall goals in mind. They carry out the decisions that are best for their farm business as a whole, and sometimes that can mean stepping out of their comfort zone. Sounds good, Lance. Can you tell us a little bit more about these practices? Well, first you want to answer the question, is this ground worth it? Managing your cash rent costs well starts with being financially savvy about what you'll pay. The return your ground is giving you must be part of your analysis in determining how much you're going to be willing to pay for rent. Of course, this includes how that ground is producing and all the costs involved in farming it. You need to know what kind of return you're making on each piece of ground you're currently renting or what you would make on anything you're thinking about renting in the future. That will help you as you determine whether the ground is worth what the landlord is currently asking for or if some negotiation may be in order. Next, you need to ask yourself, am I proactively working to build and strengthen the right kind of relationship with this landlord? 
when it comes to having a good relationship with your landlord, it's all about knowing who they are and what they want most from you and from their asset. You can work intentionally to build these relationships through proactive communication and transparent discussions. Use questions to help uncover their main priorities for their landlord-tenant relationships with you and their ground. If you have multiple landlords, you'll want to determine which ones you need to get to know better and which relationships are top priority. We're talking with Lance Burdett, Water Street Solutions. What's the third area for us to consider? Well, really, Dewey, you need to do a checkup on what you're currently doing to enhance your own negotiation skills. If you haven't already needed to sharpen your game in this area, I think a time is coming where you'll want negotiation skills in your back pocket. The first step is to have already answered the first question we covered, which is, is this particular ground worth it? And knowing how much you're willing to pay. The other part is being open and willing to proposing some different ways of approaching rent to your landlord, such as flex rent leases. Bringing them different options that work toward a win-win for both of you can demonstrate that you're offering them the opportunity to share in the benefits of good years as well. Overall, use these three practices to start getting a proactive game plan in place to better manage your operations cash rent costs. Start looking into the different lease options out there, especially if you're dealing with cash rents you want to negotiate. You can discuss the variety of options you might propose to your landlords by getting in touch with one of Water Street's Ag Finance Advisors. For more answers to your questions on this or any other topic, go to waterstreet.org or call 866-249-2528. Today, we've talked about cash rent approach with Lance Burdett, account manager, Water Street Solutions. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, the Florida Gators are just one victory away from their first national championship in college baseball. Last night, Brady Singer struck out a career-high 12 and in 7 innings of work, and Jonathan India doubled in two runs as Florida held off LSU 4-3 to in Game 1 of the CWS Finals. Tigers coach Paul Maneri says Singer was certainly the story of the game, but his team still has hope. But when you think about the fact that we went up against one of the best pitchers in the country, I think the guy will be the first pick in the draft next year. And we were having to piece it together with our bullpen guys. It was amazing to me that we were right there and had a chance to win. Now the Gators have won three out of four this year with the Tigers. They need simply a win today or tomorrow to claim the title. Singer's strikeout total was the highest by a single pitcher in a CWS Finals game. York High School star Garrett Snodgrass announced on Twitter last night that he's received his first scholarship offer from South Dakota State. Snodgrass is the son of former Overton head coach Glenn Snodgrass, who's been the coach at York the last several years. Garrett is seen as a tight end prospect at the next level. New Indiana coach Archie Miller is going to be in a new tax bracket. He will make $24 million under his seven-year deal and even potentially more in bonuses. He accepted the job this spring, but the athletic department didn't announce details of the contract until today. He will receive a base salary of $550,000 per year and a million dollars in deferred income each season. Miller also will receive an additional $1.85 million in outside marketing promotional income and will get a $50,000 per year raise each year 
through March of 2024. The past two NL Cy Young Award winners score off when Nationals ace Max Scherzer takes on Cubs righty Jake Arrieta tonight. Scherzer earned the prize last year and is a leading contender again this year. Arrieta, on the other hand, took the Cy Young in 2015 and finished ninth in last season's voting. But much like the rest of the Cubs, he's had an uneven season to this point in the summer. Andy Murray has withdrawn from an exhibition match in London because of a sore hip less than a week before the start of Wimbledon. His management company says the decision was made as a precaution. Murray, who won the Wimbledon title a year ago, is still planning to play a second exhibition match this Friday as Wimbledon starts next week. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Chance of thunderstorms in Nebraska tonight. Some may be severe with gusty winds. Lows generally in the 60s. I'm Dave Schroeder. A jailhouse phone call transcript shows that a man suspected in a string of bank robberies and shooting at police officer asked his mother to clear his Montana home of guns after his arrest. The transcript of the call between 39-year-old Richard Gathercole and his mother, who is unnamed, was submitted to a judge by federal officials seeking a search warrant for the Roundup Montana home. Authorities found numerous homemade explosives inside the home on Saturday. Gathercole is in the Dawson County Jail in Lexington, Nebraska, and is accused of shooting at a Kansas State trooper with an AK-47 rifle a week ago near Goodland, Kansas. According to the transcript, Gather Cole tells his mother to get all the guns out of the house. She agrees, then reminds him that the call is being recorded. The Southeast Nebraska dance instructor has been in prison for sexually assaulting two teenage girls. Vincent Jenkins was given 12 to 14 years during his sentencing Monday in Saline County District Court in Wilbur. He pleaded guilty to two counts of attempted sexual assault. One of the 14-year-olds said Jenkins sexually assaulted her from 2016 in the basement of his Crete home. The other girl told a Crete officer that Jenkins repeatedly sexually assaulted her from August through December of 2015 at the Dynamic Dance Company studio. Congress's nonpartisan budget referee says a Senate Republican health care bill would leave 22 million additional people uninsured in 2026 compared to President Barack Obama's law. Disgruntled GOP senators are pushing Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell to scramble to rescue the measure before debate even begins. Nebraska did not expand Medicaid, and Governor Pete Ricketts was asked about the Republican plan, but he was waiting to see the Congressional Budget Office report. We need to do something. Obamacare is collapsing under its own weight. It is not working. What we see is premiums are skyrocketing. We're seeing deductibles go up. It's simply not affordable. So we have to, we have to reform the system to be able to make sure that health care is affordable going forward. The CBO report said the increase in the number of uninsured would be disproportionately larger among older people with lower income, especially those 50 to 64 with incomes below $30,000 for a single person. In severe storm season, remember, the weather watch never sleeps. In the News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder.
place at the beginning of the month was the Kansas State FFA convention where they elected new leadership. Going to get more from the new state officers. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. With me is the Sentinel, Skylar Denio. She is from the Hoxie FFA chapter. Skylar, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself to start things off? Well, I was raised in Wichita, and then around my eighth grade year, I moved up to Hoxie, and I got put in a more rural sense of community. And living there, I really got to explore agriculture a bit more and get involved in not only our agriculture education program, but also our FFA chapter. So what are some of those things through FFA that you have been able to do and have been involved in? The thing that really hooked me was, as a freshman, we have Greenhand Conferences. And so when we're there, we get to go through workshops that are hosted by district officers. And they really just get us started off on the right foot and give us some of that experience of what we can do in the SFA. I've also been to National Convention two times where members from all over the nation congregate and get to hang out with each other a bit and see what chapters all over the nation are doing and successful at. Some other things I really enjoy is our own personal state convention where we see members from all over the state and get to socialize a bit more. What was one of those reasons or the main reason why you wanted to become a state FA officer? One of the main reasons that I wanted to become a state officer was because a fellow member from the church I attended ended up going into a state officer position, and her name was Chantel Simon. That relationship that I had with her, she was a really big role model for me, and getting to know her and see her take those leadership opportunities inspired me to kind of follow in her footsteps. This year being the State Sentinel, what are those things that you want to accomplish this year, and then what are you most looking forward to? Some of the things I hope to accomplish over the next year is welcoming new chapters into our state, Currently, we're looking at adding about 12 or 13 chapters that will each have their own chartering event. So we're really excited to help bring those chapters into the state, Um, a lot of those being some more urban type of programs. So we're really looking forward to getting more diversified in Kansas FFA. And one thing I look forward to this year is just getting to travel all over the state and meet members and learn about what they're doing in their region. Not having quite a production agriculture background, how do you think that will assist you in being a state officer and that you can give to the membership this year? Um, Not growing up in a production agriculture background, I have a bit more insight into what some members experience um, when they first get into the SFA and might feel a little overwhelmed about how agriculturally based this organization is and just kind of getting helping them get their feet wet into exploring the agriculture industry, which has had such an impact on my life and can have the same on theirs. That has been Skylar Denio from the Hoxie FFA chapter, currently serving as Sentinel. We are now going to pass the phone over to Marie Lavellis. She is currently serving as Secretary and is from the Hayes FFA chapter. Marie, as we get going here, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I grew up in Hayes, and I actually had the opportunity to grow up outside the city with my dad and then I lived in the city with my mom and growing up on the farm I really got to experience the agriculture side of things and that's originally why I joined agriculture because of that background and we had a lot of farm animal pets that weren't really for production use they were just 
more for pets. So I kind of fell in love with that side. But then growing up in the city, I got to experience both parts. So I think that's really helped me be diverse when I come into my background and really get involved into the agriculture program in my high school. When it does come to FFA and your involvement, what are some of the things that you've been able to participate in thus far? Uh, some of the things I've been participating in throughout the day are one of my biggest, my favorite things is the CDE. My advisor really kind of helps push me and respect my my speaking abilities, and that's something I'm really passionate about. I really like to enjoy researching things that I like and then writing them down and organizing them in a speech and just giving that speeches uh, many places so I can really speak on my passion. Another thing I really enjoyed doing was veterinary science. I determined my major as agriculture education. I was thinking about being a pre-vet. And so that's something that's always interested me, too, just how the body works, the systems, and about all the animals. And so, so those are two of the things that I really enjoy doing. For being a state officer, what was one of the main reasons why you decided to run to be able to be one? Since my career aspect is to become an agriculture education teacher, uh, my biggest influence is actually my own advisor. And the way he inspired me and instilled me with such confidence I didn't even know I had, that really inspired me to want to help others and give them the opportunity to. So as a state officer, I, I would like to have that impact on as many members as I can and how successful they can be and you know, just give them that feeling of unstoppable. And so that's literally where I want to go with my future and my goal, and I really would like to start that as a state officer. What are you most looking forward to during your year as the state secretary? Uh, as a state secretary, I have lots of responsibilities. Um, like most of our officers, we are all, you know, really just here to serve the members. And that's the most exciting thing I'm, I can think of for this year. I, I'm looking forward to spending time with members, giving workshops for the members to give them that tool so they can be successful in the FBA and in their career and bring that back into the agriculture industry and into the community so we can you know, keep evolving as the world goes on. We've been talking with Marie Lavellis from the Hayes FFA chapter, currently serving as the Kansas State FFA secretary. Before that was Skylar Denio from the Hoxie FFA chapter, who's currently serving as Sentinel. For the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. As we mentioned, the cattle futures gave back all those gains from yesterday. And with us, Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities. Joe, what's your assessment of today's market besides volatility? Yeah, yeah, a lot of volatility still going to continue. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, yesterday I think was kind of an aberration. Uh, you know, we had uh, uh, kind of friendly news out of the uh, cold storage report. Then we got negative news out of the cattle on feed report. And I think it was uh, more or less uh, people uh, decided that hey, uh, let's uh, let's buy or sell the uh, rumor and then buy the fact, and that's what we ha- had yesterday. And today, back to maybe more of what what really is going on. The uh, Packers really not uh, very aggressive uh, in uh, looking out for cattle. Uh, cut out sharply lower again at noon after being sharply lower last night, uh, so that causes great concern, and uh, uh, we ended up uh, seeing uh, renewed selling, so just kind of took back everything that we put on yesterday, and looks like uh, now we start over uh, uh, like it was Friday again, and uh, uh, pretty uh, sharp down, 
you know, no uh, no limits, or the limits were expanded today, so uh, we had a free run uh, going past what would have been the normal limit in the uh, in some of the in one of the feeder contracts, so uh, not a very uh, pleasant day for uh, for the bulls. The hogs uh, same way, uh, kind of a down day. Uh, uh, cash uh, about steady. Uh, a lot of concern that we're going to get into more animals. And uh... all right, thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. <laughs> For the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. With me is Jody Lamp. She is the co-founder of American Doorstop Project and also co-author of A History of Nebraska Agriculture. Jody, as we get ready to talk about the book that you helped to write, why don't you tell us first a little bit about the American Doorstop Project? Melanie Dobson and I are the co-founders of the American Doorstop Project, and we wanted to start a program that would feature agriculture as a reason for communities to be able to invite people in and learn more about them, because so often our agriculture is being overlooked, and we just take it for granted that uh, a community started with agriculture, but we aren't featuring it and really highlighting what that community is about. So the American Doorstop Project puts a spotlight on that community's agriculture agriculture history. Tell us a little on the book and why create a book like this. We were very excited to be working with the History Press and we had approached them and they had actually came back with us and said, would you ladies look at writing a series of agriculture history books because we are still writing a national book and Nebraska is going to be front and center in that. But we thought what better way to put a spotlight on Nebraska during its sesquicentennial year with a book by telling its agriculture history. So beyond writing the Nebraska book, we have Montana and North Dakota books coming out in 2018 and 2019. When it comes to the Nebraska book, what are some of the things that are featured within it? Well, we wanted to tell people about some untold and forgotten stories, so we worked really closely with the Hall County Historical Society, Kelly Bean Company in western Nebraska, the Nebraska Dry Bean Commission, various other sponsors across the state to tell some of those untold stories. So we put a spotlight on Grand Island Island when it was the world's largest horse and mule markets. And then we also talk about commodities like the Herford Association and also the Driving Commission. When you were in the process of writing this book, what is maybe one unique story that stood out to you? T.J. Lockwood was the founder of the Lockwood Grader Company, and he founded, invented the potato grader. And that technology still exists today. It's used all over the world. But he had an international company. So what he did in a very short time was revolutionize the potato industry. But here in Grand Island, I just really had a heart for these people. It started the horse and mule markets. And so... I think the history, what people don't even realize, that one of the founders actually was the founder of Billings Livestock Commission, where my office is in Montana. So that part of Nebraska still exists today, but just in a form of being in Billings, Montana. 
if someone is interested in the book, wanted to learn more information about it, where can they go to get that information? They certainly can go to our website, which is americandoorstopproject.com. We do have a Facebook page for the book, A History of Nebraska Agriculture, Life Worth Living. But if they want to order it online, they can go to amazon.com or even Arcadia Publishing and the History Press. We are very pleased to say, though, the first run of the books has ran out. And so they are actually back-ordered. So keep in touch with us on our Facebook page because at the book signing events, we will have books available. But any retail outlet that already carries the History Press books, they'll be able to find the books there, too. We've been talking with Jody Lampshiz, the co-founder of the American Doorstop Project and also the co-author of A History of Nebraska Agriculture for the Rural Radio Network. I'm Jesse Harding. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as the grains closed higher today, led by spring wheat futures. We're joined by John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. So, the crop progress report yesterday definitely had a bearing on these Minneapolis futures, didn't it? Absolutely, and I think the question now is if $7 going to keep a lid on this thing as we're essentially right up at that level now, and uh, you know things don't seem to be getting any better. We've kind of stopped the collapse, so to speak, in the conditions, but... You know, you kind of have uh, have to see that happen. You can't only go so far. So short term here, um, you know, wheat seems to be the leader. I think that's, you know, gonna 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 maintain just a uh, a little bit of upside here as we get into the end of the month. And uh, you know, once we get into the first of, the, of of July, I think then corn is gonna catch its move. But uh, for now, we're gonna run to that first notice day problem. A lot of uh, topics to talk about because this Friday is the end of the month. The end of a week and end of a quarter and maybe some for end of the fiscal year in addition to some USDA reports. Yeah, and I, I think I've said this a few times with you. The times I look for big moves is end of the month, end of the or end of the quarter, and then USDA reports. And this this June report has just always been a big one. I mean, I think my first year I was back in 2008 doing this analysis work, and you know we had that big change, and uh, it was like we lost 300 million bushels of corn. It just kind of disappeared off the balance sheet due to residual use in that year when demand was really running strong. So the potential is there. I don't think we see something like that this year. That the the, the Moving corn and beans are going to come off acres, in my opinion. I don't think where the grain stocks is going to be a big mover. Uh, and then weather, of course. And I think the weather right now, you know, isn't showing anything. Everything's got a pretty good uh, temperature on it, and uh, moisture looks to be there. But if that changes, you know, and, and those two-week out forecasts are going to change a lot, I think this market's going to jump. And we've kind of priced in, I think, the good news on the weather. And uh, the fact that we didn't see any improvement over the last week, in fact, uh, we saw negative uh, uh, action in, in crop progress out in Nebraska, I think that's something that's going to keep the bulls involved here over the next month. And, of course, the corn crop not made until July and soybeans in August. So there's a lot of volatility left, isn't there? Yeah, and I think seeing wheat go higher is the first step we want to see. You know, that feed wheat floor that corn is essentially competing with, if that's high, that's going to just create a more incentive for, for the end users to jump in here and buy. And right now, I mean, I just don't see a lot of covering by the feeders out there. I think they're, they're going to be in this market pretty strong here in the, in the beginning of the, the second uh, half of the year. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing Chicago. And you can check out the website danielsagmarketing.com for more information. Dewey Nelson reporting.